Good morning. It's great to be here. Uh, how many of you are suffering through the crud? I've heard it, sniffling, coughing. I'm doing the same thing, sneezing, all that stuff. Just hang in there. This, this season will go the way of the past one of these days. I want to say this, Harold and Brenda Harvey, would you just raise your hands where you are? New members of Valley View, officially, we're grateful to have them and just welcome them. And everybody say amen. amen. It's great to have them here with us and, and delighted. They've been here for a long time, so I just kind of get used to seeing them, but uh, they, it's official now, you know. So remember this, if you have questions about the budget, Mitchell will be out in the foyer to answer your questions. If you have questions about the words Gary James used, there'll be somebody out in the foyer to explain him too. Because while the fiduciarily prudent amateurization of the principal is commiserate with the payment and the interest, it can be perplexing. So if you were wondering about any of those words, we'll have a dictionary and Siri out in the foyer to help explain what in the world Gary said. Okay, you cannot say amen when you have no clue what he said. Anyway, a couple weeks we'll be having a special speaker, Matthew Morine. Don't forget that. He's going to be with us. We'll have a video showing him next week. Next week, on, we've already showed it last Sunday night. We'll do it on a Sunday morning. Talking about everyday evangelism. Great posters that are up on the uh, Operation Outreach is actually what we're calling it, but they're around the building. Don't miss this. It's a Saturday night. We have a meal in between, a couple of sessions with him, and then he'll be here for Sunday morning. Talking about how we can make faith a feature of everyday conversation and it should be already but it's just not something we naturally do for for whatever reason it's not but he's going to empower us to do that and i hope that you'll be part of that and it's an interest to you matthew chapter 11 just a second jesus Matthew chapter 11, well read just a moment ago, verses 25 through 30. This is a strange passage, and I just want to tell you why before I tell you what I think it means for us. One is that it begins with this prayer. Jesus says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children, and this was your good pleasure. But then he goes on to talk about the relationship between the Father and himself. And then at the end, he comes down and says, this is an invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Goes from a prayer to description of who he is to an invitation all in one paragraph. I just find that weird. Where's the prayer end? Have you ever heard a public prayer from somebody that was really a lecture to you? I've heard those before. I remember in graduation, I've heard those. That's kind of what this sounds like. But the weirdest, weirdest thing, and you, you won't get this in my ESV, but you will in how Randy wrote, read it a moment ago, when it says, at that time, Jesus answered and said. Now, here's the question. What's he answering? Just look at the text. Before this, this woe to unrepentant cities. You guys aren't repenting no matter what I do. 
You're not repenting. No matter what I do, no matter what I say, it's not making any impact on you to repent. And right before that, he says, this generation is so fickle. And then John the Baptist was asking a question of him. Nobody, nobody's asked anything. And yet Jesus says, here's my answer. Answer to what? That's a really weird thing. Usually I answer when somebody asks me a question. I don't give answers unless there's a question been posed. Jesus, I think, is telling us this. This is really the answer for a world that refuses to respond. This is, a wor- this is the answer for a John the Baptist who's a little confused about his faithfulness. Here's how we need to be no matter what the world's going around us. This needs to be our response. And it's kind of three-pronged, and I want you to see it, but it's very powerful. First of all, we need to praise the Lord because of how simple he's made this. I praise you, Lord, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the intelligent, but you've revealed them to little children. It was your delight to do it this way. Number one thing to, to always answer the world is to say this. God's answer to our dilemma is simple. Even the most fundamental of children can get this, but sometimes the smartest people in the world miss it. It's a lot like uh, the story of Naaman. You may remember him from the Old Testament, the Syrian uh, general who comes with leprosy, contracts leprosy, and and they say, you know, there's a person who can heal you down in Israel, and so he goes down to Israel, and, and as he goes down to meet Elisha, he has these these entourage of people loaded down with money and with goods and with all these wonderful things, the best of, their, uh, best of his world, he, he takes down with him as a bribe, as a payment to pay off this solution to his problem. Elisha won't even come out to meet him. Doesn't even come out to say hello. He just says, go do what? You remember? Dip in the Jordan seven times. That's all I want you to do. You don't have to pay anything. You don't have to do anything. I just want you to do what God wants you to do. And he's furious. He's mad. Now, it's going to heal him. He's going to find this later on, that those seven dips in the Jordan, yeah, it does heal him. But he's mad because he wants to do something. He wants to pay something, do some mighty deed, do some great thing, show his character, show his wisdom. He doesn't need to show any of that. God just wants it simple. There's Naamans all over the world today because here's the deal. That God's plan to redeem humanity is so incredibly simple, a 12-year-old can take advantage. But there are people who want to be contributing to the answer and want their own solution and want to figure it out on their own. They have an ACT of 36 and they know calculus. I can solve this problem. No, you can't. I've always wanted to say that to people who made a 36 on their ACT. I can't stand you people. <laughs> Not only that, but you're, or maybe you made a 34, 35. I've got to take it again and see if I can get it up one more point. And I'm just like, man, those of us who made 12s, you can get the gospel free from God, right? You don't have to be brilliant. God intended it this way. The oldest grandmother with a less than high school education can get the plan of God like this, and some of the smartest people in the world will never get it because they've got to figure it out on their own. God wants this simple. God wants this simple. And Jesus says, I praise you, God, because you made it so simple, and it was your greatest delight. He's stumping the smartest people with the easiest of things. 
That's how God wanted it. That's amazing. So, whoever is looking to come to Jesus, know this. It's simple. I'll tell you, it's simply this. You've got to come and you've got to say, I'm badder than I thought I was. That's the bad news. You see, for gospel to be good news is bad news. You are worse than you thought you were. And you have to admit it, you have to acknowledge it, and you have to embrace it. You are not good. And then what you have to do is switch places with Jesus. He says, I'll tell you what, if you'll admit you're not good and that Jesus is the answer, I'll give you, Jesus says, I'll give you my righteousness and I'll take on your mess. And so, in our confession, our immersion, we switch places with Jesus and it's as easy as that. And do you know how the world fights against that? They will do anything they can to make it much more, I don't know what they're trying to do, but the idea is it's that simple. And God, Jesus says, I'm just grateful you made it that simple. And then he goes on, I want you to notice the second part of this. When he begins in verse 27, he comes out of the prayer, at least in my opinion. He might still be praying, but this sounds a little weird to me. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. If he's talking to the Father, he'd be saying by you. And no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and anyone who the Son chooses to reveal him to. Everyone who wants to know God has to be in one of two parties of people. One is, if you want to know God, you've got to be the Son of God, Jesus. None of us are him, so we can't meet that qualification. The other one is this. Anyone who wants to know the Father must either be the Son or come through the Son to meet the Father. He's the only one who can arrange an introduction. He's the only one who can arrange a meeting with the Father. You cannot get to the Father except through the Son. He arranges the meeting and he introduces you on his terms and he reveals the Father. Anyone who wants to know the Father must come through Jesus. Is that true? Uh-oh. Is it true that the only way to get to the Father is through the Son? It is true. Now that, for some people, is offensive and there would be an, a large part of the world, while we're used to this on Sunday mornings, in the Christian world, a large part of the world, if they heard this message, would get up at this point and walk out. Muslims, get up and walk out. You're calling him something we're not willing to call him. A lot of Buddhists, get up and walk out because you're, you're saying that our way is wrong and that we can't get there because we won't come through Jesus. And I'm saying that's right. But here's the thing. We work hard at saying, trying not to be offensive about that. I'll leave that for another sermon. I want to talk about how that makes this so simple. Okay, so you go to Harding, and you've got to write a research paper, a 20-page paper, 25-page paper on Abraham Lincoln. Now, back in my day, before the Internet was really helpful in this, you'd have to go to the stacks, <clears throat> bookshelves. You'd have to go to the bookshelves and look at actual books on the shelf, physically there, about Abraham Lincoln, and there would be shelves about Abraham Lincoln, written about every facet of his presidency and his life. But in order to get your 50 resources, I said that right, it's a Harding paper, 50 resources for your 20-page paper, you have to go through every one of these books and find something interesting and insightful about Abraham Lincoln and put him in that paper and get a picture of Abraham Lincoln composed from 25 different or 50 different sources. That's a pain in the neck. You go to ASU and you need two resources and, 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 and all that. No, I'm just kidding. But the idea is it, it's just a bunch of them, right? Now, here's the beauty of it. 
That's a pain in the neck to do that. It's annoying. Do you know what it takes to come to know God? I don't need to go consult this guy or that guy or the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the Zealots or the Essenes. I don't need to get this opinion or that opinion or this guru or that guru or the latest sermon from this guy or that guy. There's one source you have to go to to find out about the Father, and it's Jesus. And he makes it simply. So I'll tell you what, one-stop shopping. If you're one of these coupon people and you, and you look for the cheapest on everything and you say, I'm going to go to Aldi for this and I'm going to go to here for this and I'm going to, you can have all that. I'll go to Walmart and get it all in one stop. Anybody feel that way? How many feel that way? Take I mean, you know, it's just too complicated to go around to all these different places. Jesus says the same thing. Let me save you the trouble. God's way is simple. You come straight through me, he says. You don't need to go all these places and get all these opinions. Just come straight through me. And that's when he offers the invitation. Those two things you have to know. Know it's simple and know it's through Jesus. And because of that, that's why the next move is made. And it's an appeal to all people today. No matter where you are, no matter what people are struggling with, here's the appeal of Jesus. Come to me, all you who are laboring or heavy laden. Do you know why they're heavy laden and laboring? They have no clue right and wrong, and they're looking for the answer, and nobody can give it to them. The Pharisees keep piling on more and more rules and regulations, and they don't lift a hand, he says, in Matthew 23, 4, to help them. They pile on more stuff, and they don't know. And Jesus looks at them and says, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They want to know the truth, but they don't know where to go. They don't have Bibles in their hands. They don't have Old Testaments written down for them to access. They're at the beck and call and the mercy of the teachers who are around them. And those teachers don't all agree, and they're telling them different things, and they're confused, and they just want to know, tell me how to be right with God. And Jesus says, it's simple, guys. Come to me, all you who are, <coughs> excuse me, labor and are heavy laden. And what will he give them? <coughs> what will he give them? Rest. And that rest, he says, I will give you. I'm going to give it to you. I'm not going to tell you how to earn it. I'm not going to tell you how to set up a payment plan, even with deferred interest. I'm not going to tell you a, a payment plan about how to pay it off. I'm not going to put you on probation, and I'm not going to give you clues on things that you can do to help you pay it off or earn it. None of that. I am going to give you rest. That thing that's driving you is your guilt and your sin, and what do I do about it? How do I get rid of this? And karma, every other world religion in the world, says karma. Find out how bad you are and offset it with your good. Do you know how long it will take you to pay that thing off? You will never. That's why they need more lives. So they build reincarnation into the story because it's going to take you. Steve Mayville would take lives to pay off his. Just kidding. Sort of. You can never pay this stuff off. You'd be living constantly under the burden of your sin. These people like a backpack on their shoulders, loaded down with their sin and their shame and their guilt, every one of us. And they come to Jesus, they're like, okay, if I come to you, what will I get? Will I have karma? Will I have to do this much? Will you tell me what I need to do? And Jesus said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you rest. I'm taking that stupid backpack off, and I'm getting rid of it. 
I'm getting rid of this thing. I'm stomping it in the ground. I'm burning it to ashes. I'm burying it. I put it in the depths of the sea. I'm separating it from you as far as the east is from the west. You are rid of it immediately with finality right now. You will never pay for it. You will never see it again. You will never suffer the consequences of that past sin. You are free from it. Not, we're not setting up this payment plan. We're not just going to gradually reduce it. We are eliminating it instantly. Do you know? how the weary and heavy laden would feel at that moment? The sound you would hear would be something like this. Just like that, rest. I knew a guy one time who ran this homeless shelter type thing from his own home. And he said these kids didn't have meals, things were chaotic at home, and they would come to his house, and the peace and structure of his own house would cause them to immediately lay down on the floor and go to sleep. They haven't had peace in so long. There are lots of people carrying around a bunch of junk in your life that you don't need to be carrying around. You're hauling around like a backpack on you, and it's breaking your back. It's tearing you apart, and it's causing you stress, and it's causing you despair, and it's causing you depression. And Jesus is still yelling out the answer to your problem. That's why he said he answered. Here's the answer, church. It's simple. World, it's simple. It's straight through me. Come to me. I'll give you rest immediately. I will set you free instantly from this. Don't carry it around anymore. Get rid of it. He absorbs it in himself. And so you come down, like I said, the simplicity of this. You admit that this sin is something that you compiled on your own. You don't, make, you don't blame anybody else. You don't offset anything else. You just simply confess it, and he takes your place in the waters of baptism, and he takes that sin as his own. He who had no sin became sin for you so that you might become his righteousness. It's a trade that's made immediately, and you are free, and you can sit down on this pew right after that and go to sleep if you want to because the rest is yours. He's given it to you. That's the greatest news there was in the history of the world for those people carrying it around. For most of you, you've heard this before. But that's not the only rest he gives. He says, right after I give you rest, I'm going to put my yoke on you. And you're going, oh, here we go. Here's the fine print. What I like about it is he gives you rest, and he puts the yoke on you, and he says, you're going to find out. Isn't that the word? You're going to find rest then. You're going to find a life of rest then. That's what's weird. You're going you're to identify. Here's the thing. Whose yoke is this? Look at the text. Whose yoke is it? What's the pronoun with it? My yoke. And he's not talking about the sinner. This is Jesus' yoke, not yours. You start doing the work of Christ. He says, here's what you do. You come to me. I'll give you rest. I'll take all that stuff off of you. And you have rest. And then I'm going to put my yoke on you. I'm going to wrap it around your neck. You've seen a yoke like this, but it's a double yoke. It's you on this side, and it's Jesus on this side. And you are doing the life of kingdom together. You're not by yourself. The Old Testament called the law the yoke. And the, Jesus, Peter says in Acts chapter 15, 
He says, let's not put this circumcision and this law junk on these Gentiles. That's radical for a Jew to say. He says, why should we put on them a yoke that we ourselves couldn't bear? The law, when you're yoked to the law, it's like a handcuff to the law. The law is a, 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 a bunch of rules and regulations. They're lifeless. It's black and white. It's right and wrong. It's only indicting. And you're, and you're tied to it. And it doesn't help you at all. It just sits there and reminds you how bad you are and what mistakes you've made. It doesn't do anything to lend a hand. It doesn't have any compassion toward you. It's a law. It's a document. It's black and white. And you're sitting there constantly dragging this big weight around with you. And I don't care how strong you are. After a while, it's going to break you down. That's what the law did. But you see, when you come to Jesus, he says, I put a yoke on you, and I'm yoked with you. My strength and your strength together, you're never going to be asked to do anything alone. Never. You're never asked to do anything. The Savior's right there with you, and he's working with you. Not only that, but notice his character. How does Jesus describe himself? This is the only self-portrait of his soul and his heart that he gives in Scripture. How does he describe himself? Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm not asking you to learn from a law. I'm asking you to learn from me. I'm your YouTube video. I'm the person who can show you this. You're going to learn from me, and you're going to learn what kind of character I am. And he says, I am, what's your version say? Gentle and humble in heart. I'm gentle. I'm lowly. I'm compassionate. We're going to work together, but you're going to work with someone who's for you. You're going to work with someone who's on your side. He's all about you, and he's compassionate, and he's patient, and he's helpful. And when you trip, he absorbs your sin. When, when, you, when you struggle, he takes up the rest of it. He gives you strength right there, and you know you become more like him as you carry this load. He does call the Christian life a yoke. It is a work, so don't think that he says you won't do anything. But have you ever heard your parents say this to you? When you choose what you want to do for a living, money is a factor. But loving what you do is huge. And if you can find an occupation where you get to do what you love to do, you'll never work a day in your life. You ever heard anybody say that? When you sign on to the Christian faith, there is a yoke being put on you. You're going to have work to do. The kingdom is very hard work. But you have a work partner called the Lord with you at all times. The Lord is with you always, even to the ends of the age. And he is humble, and he's gentle, and he's kind, and he's compassionate. Anybody who told you he's a slave driver, it's not true. And he puts that yoke on you and he works with you and it's going to be the greatest work that you've ever had to do. You're going to wear yourself out with it, but it matters and it makes a difference why you're doing it and with whom you're doing this. He says, first of all, you come to me, I'll give you rest. Second of all, I'll take my yoke and put it on you and you will find rest in the work. You'll do work and you will, you will do some of the hardest stuff and the most heartbreaking stuff in the world when you serve a life with Christ, but he's with you and it becomes it becomes restful. That's the kingdom of God. That's the answer he gives. You know what the world needs to hear when it's running around refusing God? It needs to hear this. You know what believers who are like John the Baptist experiencing tiring, fatiguing things? And by the way, it still happens to you. 
Your physical fatigue affects your spiritual life like John the Baptist. What would Jesus say to him? He would say this. This is the answer he wants to give to people who are either really tired and worn out or people who are lost and trying to figure out what to do next. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you and you will find rest. And this is what he is using to call people to himself. This church is what we need to be saying to the world. You can know things. You can find rest from carrying around that load of sin and guilt and shame that you're running around looking for everybody else in the world to try to deal with. You can go to counselors and go to this, find the right job, find the right mate in order to relieve this. None of that works. Come to Jesus. It's simple. Come to him. He's the only one who can introduce you to the Father. Come to him. He'll give you rest, and he'll give you a job where you'll find rest for your souls. So many people would think, the best thing he can do is not make you do anything. How can it be rest when it's a yoke? That's not true. Living, living, sitting around life not doing anything is not something that's restful. Doing things that matter, that gives you a sense of purpose and value, that is restful. That's when you know you're doing something that matters. And with Jesus, you will. Most of you have responded. Most of you are children of God living in his kingdom, and you know this already. You've come and received that forgiveness, and you've got that purpose, and you've got that yoke on you, and you are living restful lives, not physically all the time, but spiritually. But some of you aren't, and some of you are looking for it, and you're wondering, what's it going to take to find that sense of meaning and purpose and fully knowing that I'm right with God? It takes the simple act of coming to Jesus and responding to him. Now for those of you who are believers and for whatever reason you find yourself spiritually weary all the time, something's amiss. Something's amiss. You've taken the yoke off and you're doing life your way. When that happens, when you try to live both the world's way and Christ's way, that's exhausting. That is exhausting. It will overwhelm you and break you. Get the yoke of Christ back on. And you will find rest again. What do you need to do? Have you come to Jesus? Are you with Jesus now? If you're not, come to Jesus. And he'll give you rest, and you'll find rest as we stand and as we sing together.